It's Christmas Day at GEHA Field at Arrowhead Stadium. It's Raiders Week. And if the Chiefs can beat the Raiders, they will capture the AFC West title. In this edition of Defending the Kingdom, we'll tell you why that's significant, why 11 straight winning seasons cannot be taken for granted, and it's all brought to you by Ticketmaster. Mahomes with pump faking, now turns left, Chase floats it for the back of the end zone, caught, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, touchdown, Kansas City, CEH, nine and a half yards deep in the end zone, went up the elevator to get a six-yard reception from Patrick Mahomes, and the Chiefs lead by 13. Hi, everyone, I'm Mitch Holtis, voice of the Chiefs, along with senior team reporter Matt McMullen. Merry Christmas and happy holidays. We will start that way because for you and me in the world that we live in, it's just kind of, oh, the holidays are kind of thrown in there. Uh, you get a couple hours here and a couple hours there. So it's real easy for me. I'll just be, I'll just tell you, don't take the holiday season, the Christmas season for granted. Uh, but it's easy to do that when you're in the tyranny of the urgent, like I mentioned on the radio play-by-play on Sunday, because you got to get to this thing to get to the next thing to get to the next thing. You're going, man, I just I miss the holidays. Don't want to do that. The funny thing, though, is guys like you and me love this yeah. because I went to the dentist yesterday and my dental hygienist was like apologizing to me, saying, oh, it's too bad you have to work on Christmas. I'm like, I don't care. I get to go to <laughs> GEHA Field at Arrowhead, watch the Chiefs play on Christmas against the Raiders with a chance to lock up the division. Like, I think it's there's no better Christmas present than that. Uh, and my family gets to come to the game. It'll be great. At least we're at home, right? Like, if we oh, had to travel on Christmas before. Eve and play on Christmas somewhere else, that would be a real bummer. But to have a home game at noon on Christmas honestly feels kind of right. I don't know. I'm fired up about it. It does feel right. And you're right. Being on the road or either Christmas Eve or Christmas Day, which I've done many times, is not quite the same. But this feels like fun, and it is the Raiders week. And yes, if the Chiefs win this game, they will win the AFC West. But before we dive into don't take that for granted, which is the theme of this podcast, don't take it for granted. And it can mean a lot of things. Let's also not take for granted all of our kingdom defenders throughout the world during this holiday season. I've got a couple that uh, I want to add uh, as we go here, but um, let's, uh, let's get on your space station and travel around the earth. So I've got four today in honor of Rashi Rice, who had 91 receiving yards and a touchdown last week on nine catches, a budding star before our eyes. I've got Philip listening from Kansas City, Missouri, a great example that you can live in Kansas City, submit your name, and I will still read it on the <laughs> air. Okay, you don't have to be from somewhere crazy. Philip was listening from right here in Kansas City. Got Paul listening from Tonganoxie, Kansas. Chieftains. There we go. Uh, a listener from Polo, Missouri. You ever been there? I have been. Where yeah. is it? Um, it's um, in the northwest part of – it's actually not that far from here, to tell you the truth. Okay. So, yeah, smaller town. It's a consolidated school. Uh, but, yeah, no, it's it's up in the northwest quadrant. All right. Polo, Missouri, shout out. And then lastly, these are some of my favorite ones. You and I, when we were at Gillette, so I spot for Mitch on the road in the radio booth. So I go with him to the radio booth, and most press boxes around the NFL, the radio booth is, like, attached in the press box. But my first time to Gillette, you warned me about this, and then I experienced it. It's very odd that the radio booth is, like, on the concourse level. So – 
we were in the press box earlier. We have to go all the way down to the concourse level and like walk among all the Patriots fans who are getting concessions and get going to their seats to get to the radio booth. Sometimes a dangerous venture. Yeah, it can be. Speaking from experience. But there were a lot of Chiefs fans, which was cool. Yeah, more and than one ever. of them, uh, Jalen, came up to us and said hi and said he listens to the show and, and follows the Chiefs and all of our stuff. So shout out to Jalen. Thanks for saying hi at Gillette. It was good to see a familiar face. Got a couple more, though, Matt, here. Okay, so I'm just trying to escape and get away in Providence, Rhode Island. I have a little bit of time. I just want to maybe have a libation and a sandwich and hide. Someone comes up, recognizes me, and said, hey, man, it's awesome to have you here. I'm, I'm a huge Chiefs fan, and I live in New York City. I go, cool, all right, all right. <laughs> and his name is Al Can. Al Can. He lives in New York City, of course, and Al Can. He became a Chiefs fan because his parents, for Christmas, bought him the old electric football game. Remember that? Yeah, like of course. The, the guys. And the, <laughs> That's awesome. And, and I, I had one myself. I played for hours. It was always six to four because there would be five safeties. Because uh-huh. the guy's going for a touchdown, and then he turns around, and then it's a safety. So, anyway, <laughs> Al Can got a Super Bowl four version of electric football. It was the Chiefs against the Vikings. And he said, as a little kid, he's a, like third grade or something, he goes, I always like the red guys more than the purple guys. <laughs> he became a Chiefs fan for life. Never been to GEHA Field at Arrowhead Stadium. I said, come to training camp. It'll be like the time of your life. Come to St. Joseph. He's from New York City. He was in Providence. He was going to the game. Never been to GEHA Field at Arrowhead Stadium. He had his son there. who's he's, he's made a Chiefs fan. His two buddies were Patriot fans. And it was like the moment of his life. And I'm like, that's awesome. Where, where do these people come from? I know. Well, that's the cool thing is like Kansas City itself is not a very big place. I mean, no. it's a metro of just about two million Relatively people. Relatively speaking. Yeah. But we go all, all over the world. Like we were in Germany. We experienced this and just all over the country, like wherever we go on the road. There's Chiefs fans everywhere that have never been to Kansas City. And I think that's so cool. Another gal, Carla Stegeman, follows every one of our Defending the Kingdom podcast from McGurk, Missouri. McGurk. It is tiny okay uh tiny it is near california home of the pintos the fighting california missouri pintos california so it's missouri. east of it's uh what am i saying no it's west of california which means it's in the ocean no california missouri <laughs> uh down in the jeff city area but anyway uh those are two we had to add to our around the world but one of my big thesis points this week matt on all the shows that i'm on and i'm even using my granddaughter lily to get the message out there is if the Chiefs win on Monday, on Christmas Day, they will win the AFC West. Now, so many fans have said, well, that we play for Super Bowls now, right? You don't hear me out. One, no parade for an AFC division, West division title. Got it. It's more than a hat and T-shirt game, though, because two things. One, if the Chiefs win the division and win this Monday, that does it, seals it. It'll be eight straight times. That's second in NFL history to the 11 straight years that the Patriots won the AFC East from 2009 to 2019. Okay, that's pretty cool. Second in NFL history. League that started 1920, by the way. Here's why it's cool. And this is, I discovered this last year. The Denver Broncos have won the AFC West 15 times. The Chargers have won the West 15 times. The Raiders have won the West 15 times. <laughs> the Chiefs, if they win this 
game on Monday, they will have won the AFC West 16 times. <laughs> 16, 15, 15, 15, which also brings into light the fact that there was a time, Matt, that it was 15, 15, 15, 8. Uh-huh. Yeah. So I ain't taking this for granted. It's more than a hat and T-shirt game. If you're going to say that, I will rebuke you in front of Matt and the rest of the Kingdom Defenders. This is a big deal to win this game. We cannot take it for granted. So my intern year with the Chiefs was way back in 2016. I came on halfway through the year, and I'm a Chiefs fan already, so I was just so happy to be here. And when we won the division that year, that was the first year we won the division as part of this streak, and I remember they gave me a hat, a division champion's hat, for free. They're like, here, here's a hat. And I thought it was the coolest thing that my favorite team gave me a hat for a division title. Well, when I got hired full-time in 2017, I brought the hat and put it up on my desk. And I was like, I'm going to keep collecting these things because hopefully we win a whole bunch more division titles. Well, every year I've been here, we've won the division. And I've collected seven hats now, and hopefully we'll make it an eighth hat uh, on Monday against the Raiders. Also three conference title hats and two Super Bowl championship hats, but not counting them. Anyway. Well, you have your new man cave. You could actually <laughs> wallpaper it. I sure could. I, I don't get tired of collecting these hats because it's a real accomplishment. Now, if you're wondering why can the Chiefs clinch it on Monday, just because of the way the math works out, I had a deep dive yesterday. And this is one of the reasons that my wife doesn't think I do anything at work. And we were trying to figure this out on the plane. We, it's confusing. Yeah. And then I let it go. It's like, I'm going to let my mind drift here to the rest of the week. But you nailed yeah. it. Yeah. Well, okay. So here's how it works. So if the Chiefs beat the Raiders on Monday, the worst possible record the Chiefs can finish with is 10 and 7. That would be if they lost their final two games against the Bengals and the Chargers. The Broncos, if they won out, including if they won on Sunday, because they play on Christmas Eve, they play before we do, they would finish at 10-7 and 7 as well. The next tiebreaker for division tiebreakers would be your divisional record, which would be the same in this instance if the Chiefs lost out after beating the Raiders and the Broncos won out. The one after that is common games, which would also be a tie in a worst-case scenario at 8-4. and four. But you go to the third tiebreaker, which is conference record. The Chiefs would have the edge. The Broncos cannot match the Chiefs in terms of conference record if the Chiefs beat the Raiders on Monday, meaning the Chiefs would win an eighth consecutive division title. And doing the math, I got super fired up. That's the goal. Go beat the Raiders on Monday. The Chiefs will have an eighth consecutive division title. Don't take this for granted. It is really hard to believe because I remember in 2016 and 17 after we won the one in 2017, it was a big deal that we won consecutive division titles for the first time in franchise history. Now we're on the verge of an eighth straight. And that year in 17, the Chiefs lost six out of seven games. And Coach Reed figured it out. It was Alex Smith's last year as QB1. Uh, Mahomes was apprenticing. And the Chiefs were able to get that back-to-back -back division title with a Christmas uh, time victory over the Miami Dolphins. Won't forget it. It's a big deal. You don't take it for granted. Uh, the other thing is, and this is why, so one of the reasons the Chiefs have won eight straight AFC West titles, if they win uh, on Monday, is the fact that they've dominated their cross-pollination games against the NFC. This year, the Chiefs, with five losses, have lost three times to NFC teams. That means they only have two AFC losses, so that gets to the critical tiebreaker in your point. So you're going, well, the NFC games don't really matter. They do if you dominate them. And you win all of them, which the Chiefs have done pretty much up till this year. Uh, but then if you lose them, it's not as costly. So uh, if it doesn't cost you in the overall record. Well, and that's also why if you're looking at the one seed, that's why if the Chiefs can match the Baltimore Ravens, the Chiefs have the tiebreaker 
over the Ravens because of the Chiefs' conference record. Now, that's a whole different conversation, but that's where that tiebreaker comes into play. The Chiefs have dominated AFC competition this year, and that's important this time of year. Chiefs 40-6 and six against the AFC West in this stretch, but don't take it for granted. The other thing that we don't want to take for granted, and you brought this up. I, I'm glad you brought it up because I, at, after the game against the New England Patriots, it was the first thing that kind of came out uh, at the end of the game, and that is the fact that this is 11 straight winning seasons by the Kansas City Chiefs. And in my 19 previous years prior to this, there were nine winning seasons and 10 non-winning seasons. So it puts that in perspective. But when you look at it, and you've done a deep dive into this, historically in the league, it really seems impactful that the Chiefs have won 11 straight years. When you think about the great runs in NFL history of franchises, they might win like a whole bunch of games, but a lot of them have like one year in there where they go seven and nine or even eight and eight or six and ten or just had a year that wasn't very good. And then they rip off eight more winning seasons after that. But a lot of these franchises during great runs in their team's history have like one or two down years. The amazing thing about the Coach Reed era in Kansas City is there has not been a down year. There hasn't been one. The worst year was 2014 at 9-7. and seven. That is still a winning season. It's the only year the Chiefs haven't made the playoffs under Coach Reed. And looking at these 11 straight winning seasons in the context of the Super Bowl era, which began in 1966, because before then it's confusing because there's a lot of, like the Browns were playing like 10 games and whatever. Anyway, since 1966, this is the fifth longest streak of consecutive winning seasons in NFL history. The fifth longest. So here are the ones that are longer. The Cowboys had 20 straight from 1966 to 85. That's remarkable. Tom Landry. 20 straight. Number two, not surprising, is the Patriots had 19 straight from 2001 to 2019. It's obviously Tom Brady and Bill Belichick, really the greatest run of this modern era. Third is the 49ers had 16 straight from 1983 to 1998. That's Joe Montana and Steve Young. And then the fourth most is the uh, Raiders, ironically enough, from 1966 to 1980 with 15 straight. That's the Oakland Raiders before they moved to L.A. So the Cowboys, Patriots, 49ers, and Raiders are the only teams in NFL history Mm -hmm. to have a streak or Super Bowl era history to have a streak of winning seasons longer than this Kansas City Chiefs squad. So what are we trying to say? When you flip on the game on Monday, you are watching the Tom Landry Cowboys. You're watching the Joe Montana 49ers. You're watching the Tom Brady Patriots. That's what you're watching, and it is your team. It is the Kansas City Chiefs. This is one of the greatest runs of continued success in NFL history, and it's just remarkable, and we got to enjoy every moment of it, and the beauty of it is I don't see it slowing down anytime soon. No, but it's why this Christmas Day game coming up on Monday is big for so many reasons, and also not to take for granted is this will be a Raiders team that's coming in that's kept its purpose. And let's just credit here interim coach Antonio Pierce. He's done an amazing job. First of all, how many teams would get beat three to nothing in December (laughs) and come back and put 63 points on a division opponent and basically get the coach and general manager fired the next day of the 63 they put on the board against the Chargers. And honestly, the NFL record was in jeopardy. If they kept the foot on the foot feet, they were going to get the 77 points, and they would have set the all-time record. That's who's coming in for this game uh, on Monday on Christmas Day. Antonio Pierce is to be credited for keeping the boat in the water with the Raiders. Those two games for the Raiders, which are their two games since they played us because they had the bye week after us, 
That's why the NFL is the greatest, because you never know what's going to happen. I mean, the Raiders score zero points and lose three to nothing to the Vikings out of their bye week. But then the week after that, they score the most points in team history with 63, and they win by 42. Here's the really odd thing about that game. So they only had 378 yards of offense and scored 63 points. It was the most points scored with under 400 yards of offense (laughs) since 1966. Now, the Chargers, on their first seven drives, had five punts, two fumbles in their own territory. The Chargers had five turnovers in the game. The Raiders should be applauded for taking advantage of all those miscues by the Chargers. I mean, the Chargers did not play well, and that's why the head coach got fired, and that's why the GM got fired, and that's why they lost by 42 points. But the Raiders were not marching down the field the entire game. It was a lot of Charger mistakes, and the Raiders took advantage of them. Against this Raiders squad that is still mathematically alive in the playoff hunt, it goes to show you can't make mistakes against them. If you make mistakes against good teams in the NFL, they'll make you pay for it. And the Chargers made a lot of mistakes against the Raiders, and the Raiders were surgically efficient in making sure they paid for them. Another little piece of history in that game. Do you realize eight different Raiders scored? (laughs) Eight different guys. And Jacoby Myers threw a touchdown. So eight different dudes scored. That hasn't happened since 1950, and that's only because you can't find the records. It goes the same thing. Like The two benchmarks are like the merger, Super Bowl era, and then 1950. Like what happened before 1950? We don't know. I don't know, but there wasn't any team that had eight different guys score, but the Raiders did it against the Chargers. Now defensively is where this team gets your attention, and especially Max Crosby. Max Crosby is an amazing Dude, uh, when you look at his, uh, what he has been able to uh, accomplish from a uh, historical standpoint, he's sitting here over 50 sacks, but over 300-plus tackles in his first five years in the league. Only a few guys have been able to do that. Khalil Mack is one. Uh, DeMarcus Ware is one. But Mark, uh, Max Crosby, here's the other amazing stat with him. 11 times, 11 times in the last two seasons, Max Crosby has played every defensive snap. This year, Matt, he has played every defensive snap, every defensive snap for the Raiders seven times. That's crazy. When you think about guys rotating in and out, I mean the Boses and our guys will come in and out. Crosby plays every defensive snap and he plays it like it's the last snap you'll ever play. Kudos here to the much tattooed cigar smoking on the set of Thursday Night Football, Max Crosby. He is a unique dude. Yeah, he's remarkable. 75 pressures this year. That's fifth most in the NFL. And the thing that's really, really impressive about him, a lot of premier edge rushers in the NFL are that. They are edge rushers. That's all they're really concerned with. He might be the best run defender in the NFL. If you go on Pro Football Focus and look at uh, the top pass rushers in the league in terms of their pass rushing grade and run defense grade, he is right there at the top in both of those. That's very unique. You just don't see that a lot in the NFL. He's their best defensive player. He's the engine that makes the whole thing go. you got to know where Max Crosby is at all times. Yep. And again, the fact that he's played the most snaps of any edge defender by 80 snaps tells you a lot. And those numbers about him being good against the run in the pass and pressures has been that way since 2019. It's not like, oh, hey, 2023, he busted through. He's been there, been there, been there, been there. So uh, he lives up to his all-pro and Pro Bowl reputation. And, yes, and he had a sack against the Chiefs. In fact, he's had four in the last three games against the Chiefs. They have to account for him. But overall, this defense with Antonio Pierce is what uh, gets your attention. Sixth in the league in the past eight games. You really have to kind of discount those first games. You kind of got to throw those out as you get prepared for this specific game. 
They're sixth in the league in offensive points allowed. Now, keep in mind, the Chiefs have been so good, but in the past eight games, the Chiefs are 10th. The Raiders are sixth. And since week eight, it's the number three scoring defense in the NFL, allowing just 17 points per game. Here's what's interesting. They're middle of the pack in a lot of specific defensive categories, even in that span, but they're really good in the red zone. They're only allowing touchdowns in the red zone since week eight at a 47% clip. That's sixth best in the NFL. So they're letting teams move on them a little bit, but when they get to the red zone, forcing them to settle for field goals uh, and keeping this Raiders offense in the game. The Chiefs offense has to finish in the red zone in this game. And it's kind of the same narrative that we had last week. You can't allow the Raiders to be playing this game in the mud in the fourth quarter. I mean, this needs to be a situation where if the Chiefs have opportunities early in this game to go up maybe double digits, you got to make sure you take advantage. You can't let the Raiders hang around because, again, this Raiders squad still has a chance of making the playoffs. They're fighting for their season. You can't give them uh, hope and a chance to win it in the end. Still have Devontae Adams, too. Now, the yeah. Chiefs did an amazing job. In the second half of that game in Vegas, they shut him down. Hard to do. But in the first half, he was all over the place. And you mentioned Jacoby Myers, who's having a sneaky year as a passer runner and as a pass catcher uh, for the Raiders. And then Michael Mayer's starting to kind of crank up, too, the baby Gronk guy that they got as a rookie out of Notre Dame. But let's close out this way. Another thing not to take for granted. You mentioned the Chiefs have to win in the red zone uh, in this game and get touchdowns and not field goals. There were a couple significant things that I took out of the Patriot game that made me hopeful for this game against the Raiders. And one was the play of Rashi Rice. Not, not necessarily getting the record of seven rookie touchdowns, uh, which was a Chiefs record. It was the tough catches he made at the time in which he made them. There are three that come to mind. And you and I are kind of on the same wavelength with this. Two were chain movers when they needed to move the chains. He had to contort his body on those two plays. The throw wasn't right at his number four, and hey, I can just catch it. Pat put him away from the defender, and he had to kind of dive and go low to get one, and the other one, he had to twist his body to get it. First down, first down, and both came at critical times. The third one was a third down conversion after the Justin Watson 31-yard pass that became a Patrick-friendly play. And the fact that he runs his route, but when you watch the video, at the last eighth of the play, he's adjusting to find the void in the zone and gets in the vision of Pat for a big 20-plus play. Those three plays were significant and hopefully not take it for granted, and that can carry over to the Raiders game because that also could mean a red zone touchdown. That last one that you're referencing, which helped set up the Jarek McKinnon touchdown at the end of the first half, looked eerily similar to his drop against the Broncos early in the season in the game that the Chiefs lost in Denver. At about the same point of the game. About the same point yeah. in the game, same kind of momentum-shifting play, same part of the field, and I think that shows the growth of a young receiver, that he dropped it in the Broncos game. It's a bummer. you got to move on and learn from it. And in a very similar situation, at the same spot on the field, where his quarterback really needed him to make a play, he caught it, tucked it, and got upfield, led to a touchdown. And what's funny about the Patriots game is the Patriots were up 10-7. to seven. Then the Chiefs marched down the field before the end of the first half, scored, and that Rashid play was right in the middle of that to set up McKinnon's touchdown. That was part of a run of 17 unanswered points for the Chiefs, while the Patriots ran just two offensive plays. So that shows that this Chiefs team can really get going when things are going well and when they're executing. And that play by Rashid was a great example of execution. Uh, everything was right there. There weren't any mistakes. They executed it perfectly, and we saw the results. Again, chain moving, f being Patrick friendly, 
and hopefully this week a catch like he had a week before where he had the red zone touchdown catch and a tight window throw. Those are huge. All right. We'll close out this way. The other thing not to take for granted is what a full linebacker room means. This game was only the fifth time that the Chiefs had both Drew Tranquil and Nick Bolton on the field at the same time. Prior to that, it was only weeks one, two, four, and six because one or the other was out and missed. What we saw in the New England game, and and we saw the Willie Gay Jr. interception, Leo Chennault's having an awesome year and not getting enough uh, talk about him. Also on special teams, he leads the team in special teams tackles. But when the full linebacker room is there, it allows the scientist and the chemist, Steve Spagnolo, to mix the chemicals. And he's got everybody to work with. The last sack, go watch the video of the last sack. Nick Bolton and Drew Tranquil are out there at the same time. And we see how lightning fast Drew Tranquil is on a sack or a delayed blitz for a sack, which everybody does to us all the time on Patrick. When Tranquil does it, it's absolutely lethal. With a full linebacker room, this Kansas City Chiefs team is very different. Well, they're so versatile, and it goes hand-in-hand with Charles Amenehu as well, who's also a versatile defensive lineman. But when Spags can use these guys in so many different ways, when you can have Drew Tranquil as a coverage linebacker or as a blitzer or as a guy you can trust in the run game, I mean, a lot of players in the NFL, you can't trust them to do everything. And you can trust Nick Bolton to do just about everything. You can trust Drew Tranquil to do just about everything. We know Willie Gay is one of the most athletic linebackers in the NFL. Leo Chanel, like you said, having a great season. And even Jack Cochran, who I think did a really admirable job filling in for both Tranquil and Bolton uh, in the Packer game. So we're lucky to have this group of linebackers. This is the number three scoring defense in the NFL for a lot of reasons. But that middle of this defense, that linebacker core, maybe the best linebacker core we've had in a very long time uh, here in Kansas City is a big reason why. I'm glad you brought up Charles Amenahu because such an impactful player. And he's also much like Max Crosby that we talked about. Not saying he's Crosby, not saying he's not. He'll also play the run. He does not rush the passer at the sacrifice of the run. And an opportunity to talk to Charles Amena, who's always a good day. Yeah, just a good player. A guy that came in here kind of mid-season, uh, but has four and a half sacks, eight quarterback hits, a forced fumble, 23 pressures this year, and 16 pressures in his last four games. He's a guy that's helping us win. And as Mitch said, we had a chance to catch up with Charles earlier this week. Christmas came early to the Chiefs' kingdom. It was springtime, and the Chiefs signed Charles Amena, who is with us now. Matt will attest, the first thing I did was, like, go back and watch the Houston game of 2019. You had a 17-yard game-changing sack. You remember that play? I do. So uh, you guys were backed up, and it was going into halftime. And we had our, like, dime package in the game. I was throwing in there, like, a shade and play action. And I just kind of just played the play action right quick. And I felt the soft set. And I just – I think I snatched a rip. And then I seen Pat with the ball kind of caught back, and I just tomahawk chopped his arm. <laughs> ball came out. I'm like, bro, the ball out, the ball out, fumble. Uh, I think uh, um, Bernard McKinney, uh, 55, our middle linebacker, he recovered it. And I just was elated, static. <laughs> the whole stadium was quiet. And I just like, yeah, this feels good, man. This feels good, bro. 
Okay, we can laugh about it now. We were terrified at the time. <laughs> yeah. But now that you've seen the light, you've yeah. come to the good side. Yeah. Came to the bright side of things, yeah. man. Yeah, for sure. Mitch isn't kidding, though. Like, as soon as we signed you, he ran in with that play ready to go on his laptop, yeah. and he showed it to me. He's like, we got this guy now. Yeah. And correct me if I'm wrong, were you lined up inside on that play? Or I was. Okay. I was on the center. Okay, so that's a great example of your versatility mm-hmm. and what makes you so special is you can line up on the edge and be a tremendous edge rusher, but you can also be like a nightmare for guards and centers because yeah. of your length. Yeah. How much pride do you take in that, being so versatile on the defensive line? I take a lot of pride in it. You know, um, coming into the league, that's what I started doing. Um, in college, I didn't do it as much, but then when I got drafted, my role was kind of like rushing side, rushing on the center, rushing on the guard, and I took pride in a lot in it because, I mean, I just wanted to – that role to be something that I could excel in and make my way in the league. And um, as I got older and older, it became something that I just came, became very good at and that kind of just became my niche. And then also sitting the edge um, at defensive end and, and beating up tight ends. So, um, and then I think last year uh, with the Niners, I had got to a point where I was comfortable doing both, where I felt like I, was, I could make an impact on the edge and inside. And, um, Crazy enough, this year I've really been on the edge a little bit more. Um, I think I want to, and I've talked to my coaches about kind of just making it a healthy sprinkle of both. Sure. But uh, it's been, it's something I think that if you're a bigger defensive end, if you're not like a speedster, like a Havon or, or Micah is, that's an extra tool in your toolbox that can help you out. I love it. Beat up on tight ends. You know they're terrified. Uh, <laughs> I have to block this guy? Oh, man, that's awesome. So, sacks, last three weeks in a row. Four mm-hmm. in a, it's already tied your career high in sacks. Yeah. In eight what games. Ab- and what about being in this environment, in this system, with these guys, and how much it's rejuvenated you? Um, I think it's just – I think it's the system, like you said. Uh, it's a lot of press man here, a lot of man-to-man. Um, so, it kind of the, – the windows are a little bit tighter. Uh, when I reached the four and a half sack mark in San Fran, we played a lot of zone, and teams with that group really did not. They, they tried everything they could for us four not to touch the quarterback at all. Here, I think it's a little bit difficult because there's a lot of blitzing. Um, it's man to man, so it makes it a little bit tighter and harder to um, focus just on the D line. So it's giving me the extra hitch um, playing with guys like Chris, George, Mike. Um, Derek, they help out a lot, and just I mean, I've like I said, in eight games, got four and a half. Uh, it feels good, but I just want to keep it rolling. You know, we got three more games in the regular season, so I want to keep this streak going. I was telling Joe, I was like, I'm, I'm three for three, Joe. It's on <laughs> you if I'm if it if it stops. <laughs> Now, you've had a chance to play as part of some pretty good pass rushes in your career. Mm -hmm. One thing that I've noticed, I don't know if there's a connection here, but Nick Bosa always plays with one arm up, like Mm -hmm. he's an Olympic sprinter about Mm -hmm. to get off the line. You do that too. Did you pick that up from Nick, and what did you learn from him? I did. I I definitely picked up my stance from Nick. Um, Man, uh, Nick is an incredible player, uh, but people see the product on the field. You got to see how the man works off the field. And I think I also took that – from guys like J.J. Watt, Nick, those two guys, I really watched how they work and why it translated on the field. And then I, I would ask Nick about his offseason workout plans and why his get-off was so strong and why he was so fast off the ball. Um, the stance um, is more than just having my arm back. It's, <laughs> uh, you put a lot of pressure on your on your front hand, a lot of weight on your feet. Um, and it's like I'm, in a, I'm, I'm really in a 40-yard dash stance every play. So, yeah, I adopted that from Nick, and I, it's something that um, 
I just I, I, won't, I won't stop doing that to be honest. Yeah, really interesting. So Nick had the most pressures on the Niners last year, but you had the second most, and mm-hmm. now you're bringing that to Kansas City. That's certainly translated. <laughs> yeah, love it. Final question, and it deals with joy. You tweeted the other day, and I've seen this joy in you. Mm-hmm. There's a waiting. You know, you can get pulled out of the game, and then you get an appreciation. How much joy are you feeling right now, not just in your game, but in your heart? Yeah, man, I've I've said it a couple of times that um, I'm probably the happiest I've ever been, for, for, to be honest. Um, I had the game pulled from me for six weeks, and mm. uh, that was the toughest six weeks I've ever endured. Um, football means a lot to me. It is my life. It's been my life since the fourth grade. Um, I've never missed more than two weeks maybe mm-hmm. of football. Wow. So having to deal with everything I dealt with, even coming here, um, having to deal with everything I dealt with um, during the six weeks on and off the field, and then to come back, first game, getting a sack, second game, getting a sack, had a little bit of a drought for three weeks, and then these last three weeks getting to the quarterback, really feeling like I'm getting to my own and being in being in a mental space and an environment where, like, I don't, I don't look over my shoulder. I don't worry about anything. There's no troubles on my mind. I'm just free and be able to have my personality show in life is the greatest joy that I can have ever received. And I hope that um, people that watch this and get a chance to watch this understand that, like, you know, as a football player, they think that life is all good and dandy. But um, I, I went through a nine-month nine stretch of just – pure like stress at a high high level Mm. Um, but um, thankful to God thankful to people around me that I was able to get out of that and I'm my smiles from ear to ear all day there's there's really nothing that can take my my joy down at this point so it's the holiday season it's the Christmas season we're looking forward to Charles and Menhu spreading the joy (laughs) on Christmas Day oh yeah there's gonna be a lot of joy on Christmas Day I promise you that And another thing uh, that's huge about Charles, in fact, on the Chiefs Kingdom radio show earlier this week, we had Neil Smith on, right? Because it's a short week, and uh, we had uh, it was a short week still for the from the Kingdom standpoint. But wingspan to me is the most underrated uh, metric in all of sports, and that when you see Charles Amenahu and the wingspan and his power as an athlete, you realize, wow. Uh, this is going to be something, it's already good, it can get a whole lot better. Well, that's one of the reasons Max Crosby is so good. I mean, they call him the Condor for a reason. He has a gigantic wingspan. And Charles who is similar in that way. I mean, we were so excited when we got Charles because of that versatility. I mean, when you can play as an edge rusher, that's one thing. But also putting his like body type and skill set over a guard as a three-tech inside is a disaster for most offensive lines. Like, it's so difficult to handle. And that gives other guys on this team, like Mike Dana, George Karloftis, Uh, Chris Jones, if he wants to bounce outside, there's so much versatility in this group where if you are an offense preparing for the Chiefs pass rush, you just don't quite know where guys are going to line up. I mean, you could have Charles Aminihu over the guard half the time, and then the next game he's not over the guard at all. You just don't know, and that's the beauty of this defense, and we're so lucky to have Charles here in Kansas City. He's a big part of why this defense has been so good this year. Christmas Day game against the Raiders. Historic if the Chiefs can win the AFC West and win this game. Also, a streak of 11 straight winning seasons. A guy like Charles Amenahu, a full linebacker room. Rushy Rice catching third downs and extending drives. But mostly, friends, family. During this holiday season, for all of those reasons, 
Let's not take it for granted.